This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Monday the 19th of April 2021. And one of the things that has been in the news over the weekend is the idea of international travel for Australia. The Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, was talking yesterday about how Australians might be able to travel overseas in the coming months, but we're in no hurry to open up. Obviously, there are some people in Australia who are in a hurry to open up. So, Norman, what is it going to take for Australia to reopen to some kind of normalcy around international travel? Well, it's partly our risk appetite, but it's also our vulnerability here because Once the virus gets in, and if it comes in in large enough numbers, it will overwhelm our ability to contract, trace and control. So it's a really serious discussion. Um, So I think the Prime Minister was talking about easing up regulations for Australians to go overseas for important things like funerals and so on, and then facilitate entry for people who've been vaccinated. And as you know, on Coronacast, we've been calling for quite a long time now, for Australians overseas to be vaccinated so they could come back more easily. This is within the realms of possibility. And of course, if you came back vaccinated, you probably could get away with far more than 50 or 100 people on a large international, you know, intercontinental jet. So what's the epidemiology here? And it's quite complicated. The good news is that uh, in the last day or two, The CDC in the United States has issued data showing that with the Pfizer vaccine, you seem to get, well, certainly the vaccines that they've been using, you seem to get an enormous reduction in infection. So it's like 99 point something percent. So that's fantastic. It doesn't stop it completely. Israel's shown that you do get breakthrough, particularly with variants. So if you allow people back in, there will be some people arriving with infection. And in theory, you could get rid of hotel quarantine if you tested people before, tested people after, and then they go home for a few days. The question is how many days? And then it depends on how well immunised we are to resist that. And if you just do the maths on this, if 90% of us are fully immunised, that leaves 10% who are not immunised. They will be, by the way, if overseas data flow through to Australia people who are less advantaged, who live in poorer circumstances and less accessible to immunisation. And those are exactly the people, for example, in Melbourne, who suffered from the second wave and high rises and so on. So it's quite possible we've got a very vulnerable population, which is 10% of the community, which is probably 100 times more people than have already been infected with COVID-19. So this is still the potential for a very large outbreak. Right, so it's not just people coming into Australia that need to be covered so that they're not bringing the virus in, but it's also that the community here has to have a good level of coverage to prevent any virus escape from turning into uh, an epidemic here. And the people coming in are going to be coming in with variants. They're going to be coming in with the Brazilian, the South African, the Indian variants and others. And at the moment, we aren't quite sure just how effective the vaccines are against against those variants. And if we are dominantly covered by the Astra vaccine and we haven't imported a new variant vaccine, we'll come to that in a later coronacast, we might be very vulnerable to new variants coming in. So these are the variables that need to be dealt with before you say, well, you know, we're good to go. So it's complicated is what I'm hearing, but it's possible. Uh, One of the dates that people keep chucking around is October. And I wonder if that's based on the previous vaccine rollout plan that sort of said that 
uh, eligible Australian adults would have access to vaccines by October. But we know now that that timeline has gone out the window. Is this still something that's feasible, feasibly could happen by the fourth quarter of this year? I think it was li- linked to that promise that most people would have at least one dose. I mean, even in the United Kingdom, only about a million people have had a second dose of Astra uh, because of that 12-week gap. So there is this long delay before you get fully covered. So I just don't think there's any way that we're going to be able to do that. The only situation that might prevail would be if we got more Pfizer into the country and therefore more people under 50 were covered. We stopped immunizing people in aged care with Pfizer, which I think has still not happened. And if Novavax comes in early enough, we might be able to actually achieve quite a lot. We certainly could roll out Astra incredibly quickly once the million or so doses a week rolls through and have high-throughput state-based immunization clinics as well as general practice. We could have a lot of people covered, at least with the first dose, by, say, July. And then the second dose, potentially and tantalizingly, could be if we were flexible enough to buy Moderna, which looks as if it's going to have a variant vaccine, our second dose is with Moderna, not with Astra. And by then, we're going to have data from Britain, which probably will show that mixing your vaccines is safe and effective. Well, National Cabinet is meeting today, so we look forward to hearing more, hopefully, on the vaccine rollout plan when that happens. But one of the things that the Prime Minister said yesterday, Norman, was about the fact that returning or people coming into Australia from overseas might have the opportunity to quarantine at home. And we heard uh, over the weekend as well that there's been um, some escape of the virus in hotel quarantine in New South Wales between one family who was quarantining and the people in the room next to them. So would that potentially help reduce this uh, seeming airborne spread in hotel quarantine? Potentially, but the other potential is that um, people don't obey orders and go out and go shopping and infect other people. And at least in hotel quarantine, it's confined to those people and the workers are isolated and quarantined themselves until they get some res- until they get the results through. So you can actually control it. Whereas if people are home and they're infected, and they go out and they happen to get involved in a super spreading event, then you've got a major cluster developing. So on airborne spread, let's talk about it because it's one of these things that seems to still be attracting controversy, even though there seems to be an increasing amount of science showing that it definitely happens. Yeah, I mean, you're right, Tegan. Um, there have been several papers there have been several papers published over the last few days. We'll have the references on our website. It's just really incontrovertible that the this virus passes through the air and that the close contact in terms of what we hear, you know, we hear this social distancing to 1.5 metres is, is probably less important than just controlling the airborne spread with microparticles through the air. And we've still got a degree of resistance in our infection control expert group to this who believe that the really important thing is droplet spread rather than airborne spread. And that's why the national guidelines didn't have the necessity to wear an N95 mask when looking after people with COVID-19 and why the medical registrar, almost certainly the reason why the medical registrar at Princess Alexandra Hospital in Brisbane got infected, then implications for Queensland from that were enormous. It ended up with the Byron Bay Blues Festival being cancelled, almost certainly because the national guidelines didn't take into account properly airborne spread. And uh, the, the evidence is now really incontrovertible. The, the discussion should be over. Right. It feels like splitting hairs, but it has real implications for uh, our 
prevention strategies. So it is an important thing to be singing from the same song sheet. Yeah, it's not splitting hairs when a family get infected through airborne spread through a hotel. It's not splitting hairs when uh, nurses, as we heard on Coronacast uh, last year, get infected at a nursing station several metres away from a room because of ventilation, you know, airborne ventilation. These are important issues which need to be taken into account. Well, let's take some questions from our audience because our lovely audience keeps sending them in, including Vivian, who has two questions, actually. One, do we know if the University of Queensland vaccine is still being developed? Because surely a false positive result for HIV is much less of a problem than the rare and life-threatening blood clotting disorder caused by the AstraZeneca vaccine. And she's also wondering uh, what she should do as a young at heart 50-something with no health issues and whether she should get AstraZeneca or not. Well, let's start with the UQ vaccine. And you know a lot about this, Tegan. Why don't you take that question? Sure. So that vaccine isn't being actively developed as a vaccine for the Australian population at the moment. But that research group is definitely still working on seeing whether there's other viruses that can be used to do the same job as that tiny part of HIV genome that was being used in that vaccine technology. And so it's almost certainly something that we'll see coming out maybe for COVID, maybe for other illnesses down the track, but uh, I don't think it's going to be one of the the sort of next 12 months or so COVID vaccines. Unfortunately. I think they think they've got a new clamp to stabilise the spike protein, which is what their technology is. Second one, which is what you should do about the Astra vaccine and whether you should have it when you're in your 50s, we, we can't give you advice on that. All I'll say, and I keep on saying it, is that I'm going to have the Astra vaccine, because the risk of the clotting does go down as you get older and uh, the risk of the disease gets higher. So I'll be happy to have that. Um, But what I'm hoping for is that the government buys a variant vaccine rather than the 20 million doses of the Wuhan vaccine from Pfizer um, so that maybe my second dose is with a variant vaccine. That's what I'm hoping And a question, well, not really a question. It's a comment from Ken, who is a GP. Ken says yesterday he immunised 100 people with the AstraZeneca jab and about 10% of people booked into the clinic pulled out at short notice. They found replacements for most. But Ken's point is, given the vanishingly small risk of serious complications and death from this vaccine compared to the vastly greater chance of death and injury from COVID-19, how do we prevent vaccine refusal and the risk of not achieving herd immunity in Australia? I think it just needs transparency and just dealing with this as time goes by. Hiding the fact that um, there's a problem with the vaccine doesn't help. People actually amplify their concern about it if they feel that the politicians and others are running for cover on this. That is the best way to reduce anxiety so that it is always put into perspective. And I don't think, quite honestly, the advisors to the Prime Minister helped the Prime Minister the other day when the Prime Minister quoted what were really spurious comparisons with paracetamol and the oral contraceptive pill. You know, it's rare, but it it is in people who are otherwise healthy. And you've just got to put these things into perspective. And it's just really hard to do. And it's not a completely irrational thing for people to say, well, later on this year, we will have... Pfizer, let's get that. If only the government could actually pull in more Pfizer into the country, maybe get extra Moderna into the country. We, we, we've just been, the problem is, we've just been laggardly about how we have negotiated. I'll just repeat what I said on Q&A the other night. Pfizer contacted the government in June, 
to find out what they wanted, when they wanted. There was a meeting on the 10th of July. I don't know what happened at that, but it took till November to do a deal with Pfizer when clearly they were ready to do a deal in June and did deals with Britain and America and other countries in June. So we kind of missed the boat with Pfizer. And so people are not necessarily behaving irrationally, but the chances of you getting a serious problem when you're over 50 are really quite low. Well, that's all we've got time for on CoronaCast today. But of course, if you've got questions or comments, go to abc.net.au slash CoronaCast. Click on Ask a Question and mention CoronaCast so we can find it. I will see you tomorrow. See you then.